0: and I have known each other for a very long time. One of the very first talks I ever gave for a long now was with Brian Nino in Amsterdam, and I met uh, you and Maya Dreisen uh, there when you were talking about the Webbies, And this is literally 20-plus years ago now, not to age us. Um, but strangely, we grew up in Marin together and never met each other until that moment in Amsterdam um, and have been friends ever since. And and she uh, has always had a kind of a, a long-term thinking thread through all of her work, um, the work that she's done in, in kind of uh, honoring her dad's work, which I know she'll talk hopefully a little bit about tonight. Um, and uh, it's been just an amazing pleasure to work with her and get to know her, um, and when she. When I saw that she was publishing this book, and after I had talked with her about these kind of unplugging experiments a lot, I was really excited because generally at Long Now we talk about thousands of years and how um, the kind of the long-term thinking of civilization. But one of our founding concepts was really about how people slow down in their personal life, and I'm going to read this little passage that Stuart Brand wrote when he founded Long Now um, about this very thing. Civilization is revving itself into a pathologically short attention span. The trend might be coming from the acceleration of technology, the short-term horizon perspective of market-driven economics, the next election perspective of democracies, or the distractions of personal multitasking. All are on the increase. Some sort of balancing corrective to the short-sightedness is needed, some mechanism or myth which encourages the long-term view, and the taking of long-term responsibility where long-term is measured in at least centuries. And so thank you for bringing a long-term to our personal lives and telling us about it tonight. Tiffany. The conversations at the Interval take place a few times a month at the Long Now Foundation's bar, cafe, and museum venue, The Interval in San Francisco. This podcast is brought to you by Stripe, a company that's working to build the economic infrastructure of the internet. They help people start internet businesses and accept online payments from customers all over the world.
1: I'm so glad you just reminded me about Amsterdam forever ago at a conference called Doors of Perception, which was fantastic. And what a beautiful vision. I love this space. It's like one of my favorite places. And I like that we have all the the books to restart civilization here, which my father's book is here, as one of them, Art and Physics. I think Brian Eno chose that. And we also beautifully held. Um, My father passed away. My brother and sister and I published his book after he he passed away, and we held the book party here. So I have so many wonderful memories in this space, and I'm really happy to see all of you here. So um, today, we're going to be exploring uh, an issue that uh, really affects all of us. Um, It affects us individually. It affects uh, our society and our democracy. this is really what I expect to see when I'm walking down the streets of New York these days. Or really, anywhere. <laughs> you could really expect any moment that people are gonna put their screens in their faces. And, um, but I think if we really held up a mirror to society right now, you would see something that doesn't look so great. This is a photographer, Eric Pinkerskill. And he's traveled all around the world and, um, taken photographs of the way we're living today. (laughs) So when I walk down a city street, I think, is this the world that we want to be living in? Is this how we want to live? where everyone is in their own little world, not looking at what's around them. And they're in a, in, in a constant state of really looking down instead of looking up. Now, looking down is not great for a whole bunch of reasons. One is that it's like the worst position to put your face <laughs> is like this. Like, I'm always trying to like, don't walk around like that, it's horrible. And so when you're looking down all the time, it looks horrible. Plus, it's almost like you're, we're all become like ostriches. Bearing our head in the sand. And we think we're so connected. We know what's going on all around us. But you know what we're missing out on? Is we're missing out on the big picture. We're missing out on perspective. We're missing out on the life that's happening right in front of us. And when you're missing out on the perspective with your head looking down all the time, things like this happen. He has a direct conduit to our brains. And he is distracting us and scattering us all the time. And you know you have to be careful what you put into your brain all the time. And we have this person that um, is changing our behavior all the time and keeping a level of stress so high all the time. And it really is the product of this um, infrastructure that we've created. And so how did we get here? So we're gonna go back many moons and many internets ago. If you wanna go back on a little time travel with me. Um, so if everyone, you wanna go on a time machine with me? Sure. Okay, so everyone just like, duh, 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 duh. that's not the '90s. We're gonna go back to the '80s. So that was our cell phone. That was Tina Turner singing. It's the '80s. We're in the Bay Area. That's where I was growing up, and this is me in the early '80s. Um, it was actually a pretty bad period for me because I grew up in Marin in the 70s and everyone got divorced in the 70s. It was literally like, they did a study on Marin in the 70s in 1979. It was the peak of divorce. And this was before conscious uncoupling and my parents had a horrible divorce, many lawsuits, and all I wanted to do was get out of my situation I was in. So the thing that got me out of the situation was... um, the Macintosh. Um, so, wait, even before, we all remember that son. But even, did anyone have an Apple IIe here? Okay, these are my people. Okay, so before the Mac, I had an Apple IIe, and I would seriously geek out um, on my Apple IIe with my brother Jordan. And uh, But I think it's really good to remember what the world was like before the web, because we're so connected now, and we have no perspective. So, to have a little perspective, This is um, what your desk used to look like in 1984. That was your reality, right? And uh, So I was super into my Mac and I had a modem. Do you guys all remember that sound? (laughs) Right? And you know what I would connect to in 1984? The library. That's all you could connect to this was before the web the most exciting thing you could connect to to the library and I was totally obsessed so um, you'll see over here this was this is me in the middle and this was one of my best friends Sally and she was from Iran and my family was from Russia My, my family were Russian Jews and escaped and we were both from enemy countries and we were both computer nerds and we thought what if students from Iran and Russia and America could all communicate over their Macintoshes and maybe world peace would happen if all these students were communicating about how we're connected instead of how we're divided and maybe there wouldn't be so many wars. So we wrote this proposal uh, called Uniting Nations in Telecommunications and Software in 1987. And um, it was a one-page proposal. We sent it to Barbara Boxer, who was the congresswoman at the time. We're just two high school students with a dream. We sent this proposal, and she wrote us back. And from this uh, proposal, um, I got invited to go to the Soviet Union as a student ambassador when I was 18 in the 80s. And I have to tell you, um, not only going back to—my grandfather was so upset I was going. I mean, he had escaped Odessa in Russia, and most of his family died in the Holocaust, and he was like, you're not going back there. And I was like, I'm finding our family, I'm gonna talk to them about connecting instead of what divides us and hopefully something great's gonna happen. So I go there in 1988 and now when I was there in 1988, I was one of the first Americans that they had ever met. And you know what I was playing on my Sony Walkman on repeat, 1988? This is what I was playing. And I was a huge Sting fan. So just imagine me with my Walkman, walking down the streets of Moscow, like totally trying to connect with people. And, but the truth was that um, they did not have personal computers in the Soviet Union in the 80s. They were in bread lines, and it was like the first time my bubble had been burst, they were like, oh, you're from California with a personal computer? Like, we don't have that here. Um, but So I left there kind of deflated. Um, But I have to tell you, the infrastructure wasn't there yet, but I really felt like it was coming. And um, so then I went to UC Berkeley, and now we're going to kind of fast forward. Um, I was supposed to be a doctor. I wanted to become a filmmaker. Instead, you can imagine how that went over in my household. Um, but I would pay for my films by working in tech because I was a big computer nerd. So I was working um, in the CD-ROM industry. Does anyone remember that? CD-ROM industry. So Sting, who I was a big fan of, I got hired to uh, make a CD-ROM for Sting. Now, do you all remember CD-ROMs? I feel like you remember that. It was like the web, but you couldn't go anywhere. (laughs) You were just stuck inside of your computer trying to do exciting things, but it, it was nothing. But um, I was working on the CD-ROM and staying in Seattle, and somebody said to me, Tiffany, you gotta see this thing called the web. There's this thing called a website, and everyone that loves Sting's music is on the website, and they're connecting over how much they love Sting's music. And I was like, that's it. That." is the thing I was hoping would exist. And anyone that would listen, I would be like, the web is coming. It's going to change the world. It's going to connect us all in all these incredible new ways. And I was like, completely obsessed. And so um, I founded the Webby Awards in my 20s. And now we're at 1996. Anyone in the Bay Area in 1996? Okay, you remember the craziness of that time, um, but it was incredibly exciting, and uh, I'm going to show you a clip where I was a lot younger and try to give you a flavor of the essence of the web. Now, I would tell you, what was so exciting back then was just, it felt like anything was possible, and that we were going to honor... The, people at the start of this nascent medium and help propel it and shape it forward on how, how it could amplify us as human beings. So this is a little clip of the Webby Awards. Good evening, I'd like to welcome you to the first annual Webby Awards live from San Francisco. We all know that the true international language is HTML.
0: Hi, I'm John Norris with MTV News Brief. It's
1: a computer geek love set. What looks like a slinky and requires a five-word acceptance speech? Webby Awards, the Oscars of the Web. Everything
0: you think is true.
1: was the Google guys. They'd only been around for three months and they won a Google award for best technical achievement um, at the Masonic Auditorium and it was an incredibly exciting time. It felt like it felt like this really. Hold your breath. Make a wish. Count to three. Come with me and you'll be In a
0: world
1: of pure imagination. So that's what it felt like. And um, you have to remember, can I also remind you that the web was a nonprofit? In the early days, we often forget it was a public good. It was a public utility. And what was so exciting was it was this decentralized thing that anyone could create anything on it. Um, But as vast as the web was, My father used to always quote Sophocles, so I'll do it here, that nothing vast enters the life of mortals without a curse. So around like 98, 99, when the businesses started coming in, the cracks were emerging. So um, it was very complicated to people. Like how many of you know how the web is run? It's got a complex set of systems. Oh good, there's two hands in there, thank you. Um, But I would fly to New York um, and I would explain to the world on Good Morning America how the internet worked and what was working right and what was not working right. So this was, it's kind of interesting to see. We just watched this clip. I hadn't seen it in a long time, but this is what I'm talking about uh, 20 years ago
0: today something that anyone
1: with a computer knows all too well junk email also known as spam but you can get rid of it and here to show us how is our internet expert tiffany schlain founder of the Webby awards tiffany good morning good to have you here good morning first of all who sends all this stuff well it's everyone from con men to companies and basically email is convenient it's free so if all the benefits of email are are its curse right now how soon might we have legislation that would this kind of business out of business we're hoping really soon I mean there are laws that are saying it might require companies to say I am a paid advertisement and then you could filter them out of your email box I'm a paid advertiser and you can filter them out of your inbox now they're controlling everything but at the time that was the big concerns we didn't understand what the intentions were right and so I mean it's funny spam like you don't really get it anymore but that was like but it was really about the business model behind the scenes really radically changing. And it's really when the web took the wrong turn. Um, so shortly at that period, I, um, I sold the web awards. I wanted to get back to filmmaking, kind of combined with the power of the web to make films about technology. And you know, here we are around 20 years later, and the web is amazing. I'm, I love the web. I love that we have access to the lifetime, knowledge at our fingertips and you can connect in all these new ways, but those early days of the web, what was so exciting is that we were going to connect with people and ideas in completely new ways, but I never imagined it would disconnect us from the people and ideas right in front of us. Who would have thought that? Who would have imagined that it would take you out of where you were all the time? So this issue really um, affects every subsection of society, um, every age group, every social class, um, it's affecting families, it's affecting our health, um, it's really affecting our democracy right now. Uh, Cambridge Analytica went away, but all the data sets are still there. And we have an election coming up, and just hold on tight, because um, as we know, You don't know what you're being delivered or how your data is being manipulated. So clearly this was not the vision that we had for the web. And really, um, I'm obviously a huge Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory fan, but I was thinking that to describe the feeling I sometimes get, it's, it's like this.
0: Where are we going? I don't know, but I don't like what's that tunnel up there.
1: Hey, Wonka, I want off! It's just kind of
0: strange. Yeah, strange, Charlie, but it's fun. <laughs> this is terrific. <laughs> I wish to get off the boat, Wonka! <laughs> There's no earthly
1: way of knowing. <laughs> He's singing. Which direction we are going? That's sometimes the way it feels. We're going very fast, we're not sure what direction, and everything is speeding up, as Stuart was saying. So it's like we are living in an experiment right now, and um, we're at the Frankenstein moment. So um, since we're living in an experiment, we are now going to do an experiment. So um, can we turn off the lights for a second? Thank you. Um, I'd like you to take out your phone. and. Um, I want everyone to turn your flashlight on. If you don't know how to do that, ask someone younger next to you <laughs> how to do it. Okay, you can share. Okay, everyone's got their flashlights on? I have an 9 volt 6. And my <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, okay. So raise your hand if uh, you feel like you're on your phone too much and keep it up. Wow. Oh my god, wait a second. Don't move. That was so cool looking. Wait a second. Holy moly. First time I've done that. OK, dope. keep them up. Keep them up. OK. Now, raise your hand if someone you care about is on their screen too much. Wow. Now raise your hand if somebody that loves you would say you're on your phone too much. Keep them up, keep up whoever if you were raised. Thank you, you can lower your hands. Wow, That was so cool from standing right here. I haven't done that and I just, that was beautiful. So now we're gonna take the experiment a little bit further. I'm gonna ask you to turn off your phone. Now, if you have a babysitter, if you're really worried you know what you need to do to feel okay. But the rest of you, the talk is only around 20 minutes more, so I'd like you to really turn off your phone. Just see what it feels like. How do you do that? How do you do that? You just hold down the sides and press like a brain pressure pressure. Okay. okay. So you're turning off your phones, and you're just going to be present with everyone in the room right now. And... Um, we're just gonna see how that feels for the remainder of the talk. Now, Tim Berners-Lee, who is the creator of the web, really feels like we are at a tipping point moment right now, which I would agree with, where it's like the web has brought us so much good. And if we can just take this moment to kind of wrestle with the good and bad right now and figure out how we want to live with this technology, we could steer it in the right direction. Um, but as we know, there are huge mental health issues. Um, Suicide rates for teens have doubled since 2007, which was the year the smartphone came out. Now, there was an article in the New York Times this week that was like, we can't make an exact correlation. It could be climate change. It listed all these things. Yes, there could be a lot of things, but when the exact period of the smartphone coming out has doubled the suicide and suicide attempts... In teens, I think that we, are, we have to look at that information, and any parent in the room will know that their child acts differently when they're on the screens and when the screens are off. Um, also, just being teens is very different now. Instead of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, it's text like snaps and scrolls. It's a very different way that teens are living. Um, And there's so much evidence um, on how addictive it is. I mean, there are thousands of scientists and behavioral engineers, and you know what their job is? Keep you glued to the screen. That's all they do, all day, studying your behavior, tweaking things just so to keep you hooked and looking down. And of course they've employed, um, you know, people that work in the gambling industry, alcohol, sugar, and I used to be a smoker, any smokers here? You used to be smokers? Oh my god, that's amazing. Okay, I used to be a smoker in my 20s. Okay, it's not bed with me. And I think let's just cut out the middleman and just uh, just smoke your phone, because that's pretty much what what the. I mean, I remember when I used to smoke. I would be smoking a cigarette. I'm gonna look at the three people who smoked. I'd be smoking a cigarette and think, okay, good. And I think. I want another cigarette, and I'd be like, oh, I have a cigarette in my mouth, right? Isn't that, That's when you're like, I want another email, I want another alert, I want another thing, and it's just like you, you're never going to get to the bottom of the internet. You know, there's no bottom there, and you're never going to get there as much as you flip it and flip it, and that's kind of the, the addictive nature of it. I think it's very soon when we're going to have like a Surgeon General warning on the phone, just like on the cigarette packets, that'll get bigger and bigger, That. Of course, it's um causing you to lose your sense of presence. and of course, there's so much research that just shows how um, you know you can't do multiple things. You think you can do multiple things, but you can't do multiple things. and i one thing I really notice is that being online puts you in a constant state of want. You want the next news headline you want you want to find out the next email, you want to see the next notification. like you never get satiated, so you're just you want the boots you see that keep popping up as an advertisement. you just you never. You want to be at the party you're not at that you're seeing online. You, you, you're in a constant state of want. And I don't like feeling that way, actually. And um, I know that there have been moments in history before where there has been hysteria over a new form of communication. And I just want to say I'm aware of that. You know, Plato, when the alphabet came out, he's like, oh, my God, this is going to destroy memory. And, you know, it changed memory, but we got books. And there was like kind of every new medium has like euphoria and then hysteria and then you kind of got to wrestle with it and hopefully you balance to a good place. Now, when I was growing up in the 70s, you know what the big concern was? TV. Really bad TV, right? Who watched this too much in the 70s? Anyone? Okay. Okay. Or that? Yeah. They're doing a remake of Fantasy Island. It looked horrible. I was like, really? Don't bring that back. Anyways. Um, But the difference with television to today is you can't you couldn't drag a TV to the bedroom, the bathroom, on a walk. You couldn't drag it everywhere with you, which is what we're seeing today. And you know, there's just so much coming at everybody all the time. And we're reading more than ever, but we're skim reading. We're not reading deeply. And it's definitely affecting our brain. Um, I saw this French photographer and I thought, oh yeah, that nails it. And even, even our dogs aren't getting enough eye contact. You know, they're like pushing away the phone, the dogs and the cats, they, they need eye contact. That's how they're connecting with you is through eye contact. And of course, you know, you see a lot of mothers on the stroller. I'm so glad the phone wasn't like fully addicting me when I was breastfeeding, because that, that was your moment. That actually is growing their brain, is eye contact. Um, and of course, so much of parenting is modeling behavior, so they're just looking at what we're doing. And um, that is the best way to grow synapses in your child's brain is um, looking into their eyes. So we're gonna do another little experiment. We're gonna look into each other's eyes. So um, Xander's gonna be my, t- oh, I have a clock here. So for one minute, you're gonna look at the person next to you. Should it be someone you know? I don't think it should be someone you know. And I, for one minute, you're gonna tell them your life story as you're looking into their eyes. And then when the minute's done, now you're gonna switch. And try to just look into their eyes and receive what they're saying to you with your phone off and see how it feels, okay? You guys ready? And find someone you don't know. And you're done. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. How did that feel? How did it feel to look into someone's eyes and to actually listen to them without your phone buzzing? Did it feel different? Feel good, right? So um, my father, um, he was a a surgeon. He wrote actually a lot about the brain and and eye contact and how much that shaped um, evolution. And um, about 10 years ago, um, he was diagnosed with brain cancer. And he was given um, nine months to live. And we were incredibly close. And um, when he was dying, all I thought about was um, being present. And what does it mean to be present? And he, he was very present. He was a very present person. People usually said, you know, he made you feel like the most important person in the room. and. Um, The same week I found out that he had brain cancer, um, Ken and I found out that I was pregnant. And so it was like this nine month period that I can't really articulate, although all I just thought about was life and death. And uh, from the, like literally the week of his diagnosis, they said he was going to live nine months, and sure enough, um, he died at nine months. And um, I tried to visualize. No. That's what visually it felt like to me. And then um, several days later, our daughter was born. And I thought a lot about how we were living and I didn't like how distracted I was feeling. And, and when I would visit him, I would turn off my phone. I was so with him. And it just put everything in such stark contrast. And um, we only have 30,000 days um, on this earth and it just made me think about, you know, what are you gonna do when you're here? How do you wanna live when you're here? So Ken and I started turning off all screens from Friday night to Saturday night. Um, Ten years ago, and we called it our tech Shabbats and I should tell you we are Jewish any Jews in the house Couple good nice representing Um, We're not religious Jews um, But we love the rituals and we love this ritual of Shabbat, but we used to just maybe do a Friday night dinner And that was it but um, really what Shabbat is about if you're a really religious Jew is a full day of rest and if you are a religious Jew you do not drive You do not uh, use electricity. You don't use money. You don't do anything that's work-related for a full 24 hours. Actually, they say 25 hours. Now, what's really interesting is that every different culture had a day of rest as a value. It was different days of the week. It's called the Sabbath, Shabbat. Um, But every different culture uh, had one, but really only the most observant people do it now. And my favorite Jewish philosopher Heschel called it a palace in time. And I love this idea that it's one day that... Remember when this, on Sundays when all the stores used to be closed? And it, the day felt different, right? And now we don't really have that as much anymore. I like to think that Buddha, he was in a state of Shabbat just all the time. Because <laughs> he was totally present, always. And I love that this is a thousands... Talk about long-term thinking and the long now. This is a thousands-year-old idea. And there's some serious wisdom in a full day of rest. It has been around a long time. I mean, it is the fourth commandment. It is above do not murder, is take a complete day off of work. And what does work mean in the 21st century? The screens. The screens are such a combination of absolutely everything. They are, of course, leisure and connecting. But when you have to photograph and filter and caption your leisure, that's work too. So we never get a moment off. And when we do this day off, It is our favorite day of the week. We've been doing it for 10 years. Now, an interesting thing about Shabbat is it's supposed to be a day of joy. It is not being deprived of your screens. It is not being deprived of working. It is actually everything you get back. Even um, if you're a religious Jew, it's a mitzvah to have sex on Shabbat. It's supposed to be a day full of delight. And I think that we need to bring this concept back of a day, a true day of rest. What does that mean today to you today in the 21st century? And what is your palace in time? And every great wisdom practice, um, and again, I'm not a religious person, but I love thinking about the essence of what the wisdom is about. Every, Every wisdom practice talks about the importance of silence and reflection. And we have created a society where there's absolutely no room for any reflection. The minute you have a second, you pull out that phone. The minute you have a moment, you're optimizing and listening to a podcast and doing and being, and there's not a second to just be and think and reflect. And there's a couple miraculous things that happen when we turn off the screens once a week. And one of them is when we turn off the screens, talking about time, time slows down. Because, you know, um, when you're on the technology, everything's going so quickly. And even Einstein's theory of relativity was that Things are relative to your state, in, state of motion. And on the phones, our state of motion is going so fast all the time that psh, it's just like speeding everything off. When you turn it off, it slows down. So th- this is what I think our Saturdays feel like. And remember how I told you how I'm in a constant state of want online? When we turn off the screens, I am in a constant state of appreciation. When you're online, it's everything you don't have and everywhere that you're not. And when you turn it off, it's like, look at what's right in front of me, my home, my family, these flowers. I am so grateful. I am like filled with so much gratitude on Saturdays. And there's so much neuroscience research that the more you recognize gratitude and call it out, the more happier you'll be, the more grateful you'll be. Um, and you know, the thing that you do again, again, repeats again and again. So if your child is always flipping their wrist when they're bored, or if you are flipping your wrist every second you're bored, that's what you will become wired to do. The other thing that we've noticed is I feel incredibly uh, creative on the Saturdays. And it is because, you know, we're constantly putting so much input in our minds, but creativity really comes from making unusual connections for what's already in your mind. So you need to give your space in your brain to play with everything that's already in there. So I notice on our Tech Shabbats, um, I spend a lot of time daydreaming. I come up with my best ideas on Saturday. Um, and it's so wonderful, because you know what happens when we have a question? Oh, we have two kids, by the way. We have a teen. We have a 16-year-old and a 10-year-old. That People can't believe that they love it, and they love it too. Even our teen says, pretty much her whole junior year, every Saturday, when we're, at some point when we're lying in a state of doing nothing, she goes, I'm so glad that we have a day off. I don't have to do homework. I don't have to be on, just for one day. And when we have a question on Tech Shabbat, you know what we have to do? We have to ponder. Pondering is a wonderful thing, it's a lost art. We can look up everything, you don't have to like wonder kill it on Google, but just I wonder what the answer to that is and I'm just gonna have to sit with that question and just think about it. Um, The other thing that Ken and I notice is that we are the most productive on Sunday. Now we're only taking one day off, but it's like we feel like just by this one true day of rest that we can truly recharge in a way that we don't the rest of the week. And Steve Jobs used to call the Macintosh the bicycle for the mind, but I think that was when it was a lot more freeing. But now I think a blank notepad pad is a bicycle for the mind because there's so many ulterior motives coming at us so much when we're online now. So many people trying to capture our attention and sell us things and influence our thoughts. And so this has been a real sanctuary for us. Now, there's there's always times during the year where we have to travel or she's got to say tease something and we can't do it. And I'll tell you, I feel completely different when um, we can't do it. It's like I feel unmoored. And the ripple effects of turning off our screens one day a week ripples throughout the whole week. So I do all these other interventions, like wearing a watch. How many times do you look at what time it is and then you get on the rabbit hole? Um, I don't look at my phone anymore in the morning before I wake up, so I have my coffee and I say, don't look at the phone, and I write in my journal. And it has absolutely changed the way I start my day and end my day. So I think, what am I grateful for, and what would be great if it happened today? And to start that, instead of some stressful news headline about Trump, what a difference it is to start your day. No, seriously, it's like, think about the way you start your day. When you look at your phone, you're going to get a couple fun things, then you're going to get some stressful emails, you're going to get some stressful news headlines, and then your, your adrenaline cortisol's pumping, and that's the way we're starting our days. So what if you replaced it with something else that brings you joy? And that's the key thing, replacing it with things that delight you. Because we're staring at the phones, you know, the other days of the week. So I'm just really saying, one day, live differently and put your mind into a different mode. So after doing it for 10 years, as the world's gotten crazier and crazier with the screens, and the benefits from us doing this practice have gotten better and better, I wanted to write a book to share it, because it's like this free, simple practice that's thousands of years old. So my book just came out 24-6, and... um, In the book, I go through a lot of bigger ideas about time and technology and philosophy and a lot of neuroscience and biological reasons, kind of the why you should do it and then all the benefits of what it feels like. And it has um, really how to's how to do it, but it has some bigger picture thoughts about society because um, as a woman from the tech industry, I do think it's very interesting that most of the people that have created our communication tools have communication issues and they are recreating humanity in their likeness by not looking, at the eye, not looking in the eye and maybe doing everything but actually communicating. I made a sweeping generalization there, but it is interesting. <laughs> I think there need to be more people, that, more diversity, more women, more mothers, because I'll tell you, mother's greatest tool is eye contact. We would not create a tool that took away all eye contact with your child. I often think of nutrition Right, you're supposed to have that to have balanced meal. I want to think about that where you need, okay, you're going to have screen time every day, but you also need to have daydreaming time. You need your outside time. You need your connecting time. You need your reflection time. And we need to consider that when we're thinking about our day. And I want a Tech Shabbat to be like yoga and meditation. I do both of those practices, and I'm not Buddhist or Hindu, but I have great respect for the traditions, and they bring great balance. And I want everyone to feel like a Tech Shabbat is available to them. It's this great wisdom practice that we need to bring back into our lives. And I think... um, a really wonderful thing to think about if you're considering this is what do you wish you had more time to do? So there's an an index card underneath your seat with a pen and I'd like you to all write down a list of what you wish you had more time to do. It can be nothing if that's what you wish you had more time to do, but think about the things that you seem to have time doing before and you don't seem to have time to do it anymore could be a language, an instrument, napping, surfing, reading, cooking, daydreaming, snuggling. So as you're writing this list, um, I want you to keep this list, and I want you to put it on your fridge. Or I really wish you could just tape it to your phone. <laughs> but if you're considering trying a Tech Shabbat, which is the simple greatest thing I've ever done in my life, I would say fill the day with this list. And those of you that have partners and kids and say, oh my gosh, how would I ever get them to do this with me? Everyone in your family should write this list and fill the day with that, and it'll be your favorite day of the week. And it's what you get back and not what you're giving up. And again, it could be it could be doing nothing. So I think that as we're thinking about the future of our species, which the long now thinks a lot about, we should be thinking about how do we want to live and When we look back on civilization, what do we want to see? And make no mistake, um, we're looking down all the time now, but um, it's not going to be screened soon. There's going to be lots of Google Glasses going to come back in some crazy form. Uh, Who's wearing glasses here? You. Pretty soon, I'm sure I could be talking to you. And I think I'm talking to you, but you're like scrolling through your email, clicking your way instead of blinking. But the truth is, I would know if you're not paying attention, even though they're gonna do lots of tricky things so it's all invisible and the earbuds are gonna get smaller and smaller and smaller so you can't hear somebody's listening to a podcast. It'll be that much more important that we remember to turn it all off to stay human and reconnect in an authentic way. Because who knows when that's gonna happen. Now, there's three segments of society that we need to think about. This is from Contract for the Web, which is from the Web Foundation. There's government. And there's companies and there's a lot to do there. But there's also citizens and that's you. That's your own self-regulation because we need a lot of regulation with government. But this is just about self-regulation. Saying I'm gonna choose to take a day off of screens is self-regulation and I just came from the Women's March. And you know, it's a lot about reclaiming your power. When you turn off the screens, you are reclaiming your own power. We are giving up so much power to these devices to affect our moods and what we think and feel. When you turn them off, you reclaim your power and get your life back in a different way. And there's definitely some points of light happening. There's 21 universities that are banding together to look at the unintended consequences of tech. There's an organization called Wait Until 8th. Does anyone know about Wait Until 8th? One person. I'm glad to teach you all about it. It's an organization. Ken and I just did this instinctively where we waited actually till ninth grade to get our daughter a smartphone. Um, we were the outliers, but it was a very good decision. And now there's... Um, parents all over the country that are signing a wait till 8th pledge, so they do it together. And the entire country of France has banned smartphones for all schools as a country until age 15 because of all the research that's coming out. Um, We're soon going to be at a point of complete connection where everyone who wants to be connected will be, and the potential for that is amazing. I mean, our biggest problems of our day, when all these different diverse minds are focusing on the issue, that will be amazing, but how do we not make the same mistakes twice? We have half of the planet connected, but before we get the other half, how do we bake in these ideas of valuing not being online all the time? How do we value reflection and being authentically connected? These are the questions I think we should think about because the exciting thing is that everyone could be focused on some of our biggest issues of our day. And through all of that, nothing is gonna replace the most important human skill, which is authentic connecting and with all the AI and robotics the, and, and the hysteria around that that that's gonna replace all human jobs. The truth is what it will never replace is our humanity and eye contact and authentically connecting with someone. So um, I'm gonna read you the last page of the book. Um, it's one of the last it's a couple endings. Um, And I should say, um, right before my dad died, um, the last day, he lost his ability to speak and all he had was eye contact. And I'm telling you, man, what went through our eyes and that last day was totally um, profound. If I have the privilege of living long enough to see my hair turn gray, and if I have the experience the joy of having grandchildren that I can hold in my son's spotted hands. And if on my final day as my body's shutting down, I lose my ability to speak with only my eye contact left, I would hope Ken, Odessa, Bluma, my brother and sister and best friends and grandchildren are all gathered around me, leaning into me close enough to hear what my eyes are saying. And here's what they try to convey. More presence, more appreciating, more compassion, More laughing. More dancing. More making. More kneading dough. More mistakes. More I'm sorry. More I forgive you. More eye contact. More hugs. More daydreaming. More silence. More eating together at the table. More reading. More journaling. More taking a beat. More thinking in slow motion. More rituals. More nature. More getting lost. More empathy. More joy. More authentic connecting. More looking up. More love. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Yes, I'm live. Thank you, Tiffany. Uh, i mean what's I hadn't quite realized that we have uh, we have daughters of the same age, but actually my dad um, died of cancer exactly during that same period um. Um, where uh, right before my daughter was born as well mm. and it was that moment of dealing with life and death is yeah uh, very profound and it was it was awesome for you to share it with us thank you, thank you. um. I, th- I think one of the really interesting things that that you bring up in this book is this idea of the flipping of the digital divide, where we um, we all remember the time in the well, maybe not all of us, but many of us may remember the time in the in the '90s and the early 2000s where that was the digital divide was kind of the thing that everybody talked about, as meaning that all the people in the world that were not connected yeah. and how unfortunate they were, and now actually we kind of and you point this out in your book that. That we actually we look at the moments where we are disconnected as the most privileged moments of our lives, and you know you tell when people tell you about their vacation, they're like, there was no internet. It was like <laughs> some exa- you know it was like the best thing about their yeah. vacation. Um, and I just want uh, can you talk a little bit about that? I think it's a it's an interesting. Flip. It
1: is interesting. I mean, even in the early days of the Webies, the digital divide was the most important topic. And like one lab job, one child, and everyone get connected, and they're missing out and. And now, um, you know, a lot of the titans of Silicon Valley, they won't let their kids near a screen. And what does that say, right? I mean, they're deploying this technology and they don't want their kids on it. I mean, even Steve Jobs was super strict, Bill Gates. I mean, so what does that say? That now it is the privileged people that are paying people, like nannies, so their kids won't be on screens. And it's in school systems that don't have enough teachers and where they're on screens more. and. It's definitely something that we need to think about as we're moving forward. And what, what are the advantages of being online, and what are we losing? And um, that was really one of the conversations I wanted to have, Uh, because I think um, I do feel like being in the Bay Area. uh, I don't think it was like intended. It's not like they were sitting around being like, "Oh, we're going to create this technology that's going to." take away human connection, but we need more checks and balances. I I think
0: you pointed out, it was actually, it was the opposite intent. And a lot of the founders of Long Island, I've mentioned this many times, were were part of that generation um, that really felt that when we connected everyone, it was all going to be better.
1: Right, and so it's like, that's what I was trying when I was working on this talk. It was so exciting in the early days of the potential. And I still think there's so much potential there. I am not anti-technology. But I think we need to have a serious conversation as a society and as the tech industry. I mean, we're in ground zero of it, but when does it make it better and when does it make it worse? I think that'll be the fundamental question. When does technology make things better and when does it make them worse? And and to just take a beat, to have that conversation I think is really important. Um,
0: no, and there's certainly, there's certainly religions um, that are here in the United States, that are that only allow technology into the community once they have determined if it would help the community. Like or the not. Amish, like yeah. the Amish, yeah. Well,
1: you know so, what's really interesting is the Seventh Day Adventists. Um, there have been multiple studies, so they do a strict Sabbath, like really strict, and they live ten years longer than Americans. And there's been multiple studies to back up this fact. Um, they also have a great diet, um, which I'm sure helps, but. I think this idea of questioning technology, which Ken and I both have our whole career, is just like what is the questioning part? And then. um,
0: We should be clear you guys are not, you guys, guys live in a, like, Ken? Where's Ken? He's right there. He's head of the robotics department at Berkeley, right? (laughs) So (laughs) So, we are into it. You are making films in the technology base. So you are not anti-technology That's why
1: I thought it would be good to share this thing. Because people can't believe that we, well, now that we're in the way they can't, but before, I'd be like, what, you guys unplug once a week, and you love it? And we're like, yeah, it's like this superpower, secret sauce that we want to share. We love it, but just not 24-7. I, see, I don't want 24-7 to be this inevitable thing. I feel like, oh, it's 24-7, and that's the news cycle. It's like, wait, we, we don't have to just buy in that this is, oh, this is the way we're going to live. It's not a healthy way to live at all. We're overstimulated and overstressed out all the time. And we don't think The in interesting that. thing
0: is that we all kind of know it.
1: Right, but we right.
0: But we aren't finding that's, the way around it.
1: Right, and that's why I really recommend just trying this um, really cool practice that um, it's so simple, and I think people have a lot of, uh, now the book's been out for three months, so all these people are doing it now. Like, wow, we didn't think it would be so easy, or our kids love it, or we love it, and I think it's like, what is that fear about, unplug- like, how do you guys feel with your phones off? You're cool, right?
0: Well, there's a fear of being left behind.
1: That is fundamental. Well, that's it is, I mean... The, 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 the FOMO. Yes. Yeah, but I guess, like, just to go to that, is um, we have a landline, by the way. Most people want to know that at our house, which we should have anyways, because when that electricity goes out, your, those cell phone towers went out back in the fall, your landline is important to have for earthquakes and electricity outages. But um, the fear of being left out I would love to look at that a little deeper because we're so connected, like it's actually good to be okay with just being by yourself. That's a skill we should instill in our kids. And it's something that I feel like we're so afraid of being left out that we're like, we're missing out on our own lives because we're always just in a constant state of like missing out and want. But I hear that, that's where it comes from. I mean, listen, so much of this stuff just exacerbates what we are as humans. Like we want validation, social media. We want to feel connected. Now we have multiple ways to do it, but it's like when it gets to this gross point, it's like, it's diminishing returns, and then you're losing yourself in it.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's so many great things that come from it, but I mean, I think you, there's a couple quotes that really popped out to me in your book, and I, uh, one was, "You know, how we spend our days is how we <laughs> spend our lives," yeah. and you know, I mean, how many of your days do you want to look back on? that you, like, scrolled a little bit further down Instagram. Um, Well, you you know,
1: know. uh, our 10-year-old daughter, Bluma, she said this once, and I just was like, she never even saw that insurance ad, but she said, I bet you at the end of your life you're never going to say I wish I was on screens more. And I was like, did you just say that? (laughs) Did you see the insurance (laughs) ad that was, like, the big ad? But, yeah, I think that... um, Yeah. And that's why that list of what do you wish you had more time to do? Because I really find on Saturdays, I do all the things because, you know, it's like 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there, 30 minutes here. And it's all during the leisure time that you used to do hobbies or read in a focused way or all these other things. So I want you to put that list on your fridge and think like for a day, it's pretty much all these things that I, I loved doing and I don't do anymore because I was on the screens.
0: Yeah, and I think you pointed out another thing, which is really, and the moment you know you kind of go camping, you're off, you're off the grid in some way, um, and you start having a conversation with the people around you, and a a a fact-based argument comes up, which now you can't have fact-based arguments, right? (laughs) Right. Because you can look up any fact, but like if you don't have connectivity. Now you can actually like just argue the merits of the <laughs> logic of the thing. Yeah, you're not gonna that. Which is the magic at... of like you can have a fact-based argument, which you can't have in the modern world. Which it, it sounded like you kind of have these discussions on Saturday. At
1: home. Yeah, yeah, you're like, huh? Well, it's interesting because if you come over to our house for Shabbat, there's no phones um, at the table, which is so interesting because people are so used to showing you things on their phone. Like they can't take a second with, oh, let me. Sh-, I'm like, no, no, no. You have to put that away. And just to interact just like this. And But I'll tell you on Friday nights, I laugh so much. I really notice it because I love to laugh. And I just laugh more on Friday nights because I'm around the table. We're cooking. We're eating. And there's nothing interrupting the moment. What I've identified is that usually if something's really funny, it'll be funny. And then you have to document it or you get interrupted by it. But if Let you're, me show you
0: the picture of the other thing that's right, funny.
1: Exactly, right, exactly. that the association of this, and you're not in the funny. Yeah, but okay. uh, on Tech Shabbat, I just like I laugh so hard, and I just think because we, we just don't do that anymore. And, and Susan was pointing out to me that the fact that you hold your breath when you're reading email. Just imagine us all day long. <laughs> we're not breathing properly. We're not letting enough oxygen flow when we're online. Oh, no, you just take a big breath. Yeah. Okay. Whew. So, I mean, there's so much good. I think it's really about going, okay, when does it make things better? I mean, I couldn't make my movies. There's a lot of global days I do have a session. We couldn't do without technology. But it's really, again, asking that question. Is this enhancing this experience or is it diminishing it? Am I feeling better because screens are here or am I not feeling better?
0: And, and I think that's, that is really the important distinction. And it's, and it's one I want to get to. And you, you mentioned it in... Um, in your book, and you mentioned it tonight, which is this idea that like, it's not. I mean, uh, my favorite definition of technology is everything that was invented after you were born, right? So we're not talking about turning off the lights. Like, no. There was yeah. a moment where like when the lights, like you'd invite people over, lights. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, it was like you know, and there was a moment where a book was technology, and people said that it was going to be the undoing of social exactly. of all social mores because people were you know holding this handheld thing in a cafe and no, and one, was no one was talking yeah 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 so like we've had these moments we that have. and and I and I always and I and then you know it was TV for us it was also video games for us Right. and you know yeah I played the shit out of video games right and you're and okay and then like I stopped and yeah. I think actually our kids are going to they're actually already better at the technology like we're actually shitty at <laughs> like, they can turn that like, like I mean your 16 year old son doesn't even touch uh, social media because his parents are on it. Like, it's like nobody would, you don't want to be on the thing your parents are on, right? Right. So it's it's an interesting moment where we're, I think we're just bad at it. Well, I think we just
1: like, we're, you know, over, you know, just like anything, the pendulum just swung so far. And most kids will say their parents are on screens too much. It's like on both sides, right? So I think I'm just trying to get people to just stop, hold a mirror up to society and themselves and go, is this how you want to live your life? And maybe, maybe not 24 seven. Maybe you could try this other, and there's so much research that when you put your mind in a different mode, even for short periods of time, whenever it's just, there's so much good to just take yourself out of a very intense situation. I have to say, I was, um, I was at a restaurant Saturday night and I went to the bathroom and there was a 14 year old girl shaking. And I was like, are you okay? And she said, I'm on the spectrum. I'm very overstimulated and I just needed to take myself out of the restaurant. I was like, I was one of those. And I said, do you want me to stay here with you? And she said, yes. We just stood there and she started breathing more calmly. And I was so impressed, A, that she had a language for what she was experiencing. And she said, I was on the spectrum. She knew she was being overstimulated and she knew to take herself out of the situation. I think we are all overstimulated. And share it with you. And share it with me. We are all overstimulated right now. We are all shaking in our souls with everything we're living in all the time. And we're not taking ourselves out of the situation. So I'm saying for one day, try what it feels like to really turn it off. Turn your soul back on. Feel what it feels like to just live without knowing every second of the impeachment hearings, of everything everybody in your life is doing and posting. Feel what that like, feels like because it feels really good.
0: And can you say about I mean you do it um, kind of on the more traditional Jewish Shabbat time. yeah but you could do it, but it doesn't any matter yeah yeah I say
1: right? that I mean uh, in the book you know if you want to do it on a Sunday if that's easier um, if you want if you work some people work in the restaurant business they can't do it on the weekend do it during the week uh, it's really just about creating a ritual and a space, hopefully doing it with someone you love if you're not married with a friend or but just You know, just create a space where you're going to set a boundary. That's the other thing. In the early days of the web, technology was all about removing boundaries. That was what was so exciting. You could work from the beach. You could do anything from anywhere. There's no boundaries. You could work with people from other countries. I think we need to bring some boundaries back. (laughs) It's a little too loosey-goosey. Everyone (laughs) can get in touch with you all the time. Your boss, there's work emails everywhere. Let's create some boundaries. I mean, I think it's an interesting moment in society. We're creating boundaries with gender. It was not good. There was no boundaries. Now, some boundaries. And it's like, that's acceptable, that's not. And I think more employees should say to their boss, you know, don't email on, on the weekend. Like, we fought bloody battles on the streets of Chicago for the weekend, and we've pretty much given them away because everyone's just emailing and texting. And ever since I wrote the book, one piece of research really um, changed the way I text because it said, you know, when you interrupt someone, when you text them, it takes about, if they're in flow, which all day long, as a creative person, I'm trying to get into flow, takes around 20 minutes to get back in flow. So now I think when I'm texting someone, do I need to take them out of flow? Is my information so important that I'm gonna interrupt what they're doing for around 20 minutes? And you know, at my film studio now, we have no phones on the desk. You have to put them in the bag. So, so much about cell phone use, it's like yawning. You pull your phone out, everyone pulls their phone out. So it's, it's also, I think of it like I was a smoker, it's like secondhand smoke for attention. Because you bring your phone out and suddenly no one's paying attention. You put your phone on the table when you're having a meal, no one's really paying attention. So it's not just, it's, it's how you're affecting other people, how you're affecting your kids. You're, I saw this poster at the store, it said, a real romantic meal is when your partner turns his phone off. So they're with you, you know? So. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I, I I remember one of the first times I experienced it in a work environment, which I actually want to get to, um, was visiting the White House, and it well, not the White House, the kind of the Office of Technology outside of the White House, and they have these, you know, these like uh, Faraday cages for the phones that they put all the phones in before you go into the meeting, so no one can record anything. Can I ask,
1: but is this Obama or Trump?
0: This was a, uh, in the Obama okay, White cute. House. Yes. OK,
1: good. And that would I, be a whole I, different thing have, if they no had idea. cages I mean, in the White House. But Obama was
0: quite a handheld phone user, actually. Yeah. I have no idea what his, it wasn't with Obama, it was the speaker that was going to be in our series. Okay. I was meeting with her. but the, And it was this first moment where I was at a work environment. It's like, oh, you have to sequester your phone. and But it changed the dynamic of the meeting. Yeah. And I actually, I want to get to that. I mean, one of the things that I remember when we were redoing this place, one of the things I started thinking of was like, well, you know, the moment the internet goes down in our office, like all of a sudden people have so much things to do that are not internet. It's like, oh, there's filing, there's like there's yeah. all these things. There's yeah. like, oh, well, there's all this stuff on the shelves we haven't dealt with and, right. and so, I know there's a lot of my staff are here so sorry. But I've been, I've been, I've, been, I've been thinking that like and I've heard from a few other uh, workplaces that have talked about like turning off internet. Like you get to check your email in the morning, hmm. you get to check your email at the end of the day. And that's it.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I work remotely. Uh, We're all at the film studio just two days a week, so when we're there, it's like, can we just be together and be focused? Like, it seems silly if we're not. Um, But yeah, I think at offices, um, you know, everyone's working and on Facebook and shopping and Instagram. There's such a, again, there's no boundaries. So we're doing everything. And you know, Ken is a professor. I've heard a lot of him and other professors talk about being at Cal and whether they allow laptops or cell phones on the table. And I, you know, if you really think about it, if a student has their laptop on the table, taking notes on the desk, they really have a um, communication network, a game console, a shopping network, a TV, a sports channel. They can be doing all of those things while they're supposed to be listening to like a one hour class that Ken's worked really hard on. I mean, it's it's a really interesting moment because you can just do so many other things besides the one hour you're supposed to be learning from your teacher. And again, this is about boundaries, is that, you know, at um, at Tam High, I went to back-to-school night public school in, in Marin, and the teacher said, oh, you can see the pouches we have for the cell phones, and we just got them. Because, you know, when, when the cell phones first came out, we thought the kids could self-regulate, but they were checking them all the time. They were hiding them in their sleeves. And he said, it was almost like We put a pile of crack cocaine in the center of the classroom and said, don't touch it. And I was like, did he just say that? Is that the analogy he just used for cell phone checking in high school? Um, And so it's so out of control. Even them looking at, like somebody told me they have decoy cell phones they put in those pouches. You get it though, right? Like you had the pillows in your bed when you'd sneak out of the house at night. So they have like faux phones for their teachers that they put in the pouch. I mean...
0: Oh, the kids are putting yeah. fake phones. They oh, put fake awesome. phones
1: in the school pouches.
0: That's pretty great. <laughs> yes. Well, another quote that I really loved was, "Time is the most important piece of human currency." Um, yeah. And I think, I mean, I think that's very much a long now principle. This idea that it's the one commodity that we can't, we can't buy, we can't, we don't, we don't get more of no matter what we do, and we're wasting it on on being online uh, rather than being with each other. And no one ever sits around going, I wish I could be online more after even the end of a day, much less the end of a life.
1: Yeah. And so that's really, you can truly be rich um, if you make time to do the things that matter and be with the people you love, I think.
0: And we're going to get to some uh, questions here. And we also have an online audience, which uh, are going to send things to me on my screen device. Sorry for (laughs) using my screen during the non-screen talk. Um, uh, but I, I think yeah, you I think you make a you make a very good case for boredom and yeah um, boredom
1: uh, that's a listen whenever well I don't know if parents feel like they're bored I think that's something that comes out of kids more but whenever if that ever comes out of our I always say whoa, boredom is just the runway to creativity like that is when creativity happens and if we reframe boredom boredom is an incredible. Entranceway to the most creative thoughts you'll have. So we need to reframe it.
0: Yeah. No. I mean, I, the the quote that I wrote down from your book, um, which I think you attribute to unknown, but um, is silence isn't empty. It's full of answers. Yeah. And uh, and I remember it's it actually interesting. I, it, so I, I did um, product design, and I remember this moment where I was I was uh, doing product design in the transition from from hand drawing to computer aided drawing. And when I used to have to hand draw everything was when I was drawing the most boring parts that I would have the most creative like yeah. moments. Yeah. And now that you don't like all computer-aided design, it draws all the boring parts for you.
1: You need those boring parts. That's why doing the dishes is so good.
0: But you're doing the dishes, riding the Taking a bike. shower,
1: bike, do all yeah. of those things without the screen. And try to not listen to uh, the news or a podcast while you're doing them. Because again, you're getting input and you're not letting your mind just go on its own. So I really try, like, sometimes I'm always wanting to listen to the news or a podcast. I go, don't listen. Just just be with yourself. Be with your brain.
0: And so we're going to go to um, some audience questions here. But the last thing I I just want to, again, kind of back to the, you know, what do we define as technology? Or do we think our kids are are just different or better than we are? Um, The, uh, yeah, so there's going to be a microphone. Somebody's going to raise your hand if you have a question, and the microphone will come to you, and we'll get to you uh, on the next question. Um, but a little bit of devil's advocate here is, you know, do, uh, you mentioned there's research that shows that kids who spend less time online are happier. But I also very well, much. well.
1: There's a certain amount of time that it's good for them, but it's not too much. Yeah.
0: Right. But I also I wonder, you know, uh, there is there's something about people that are busy in their social lives and um, business lives or school lives or whatever it is that you know fundamentally that are, the, are do we think that it's the kids are happier because right, they it? have better social kind of right. orientation in life and or because do you think they're filling that with the, the online part i think
1: part? you know it does amplify it does amplify who we are or our insecurities, but I certainly know being a teen, it's already such an insecure, well, teen to mid twenties is such a time of trying to figure out who you are and you have such a state of comparison at every single second. And um, it just is exaggerating what already you're feeling. I don't think that kids shouldn't be on at all. It's just again about the pendulum is so far right now and how do we create more balance with that?
0: Right. Yeah, it's a good thing we're all totally secure and totally fine in our lives now.
1: <laughs> I mean, well, no, but that, 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 out of all of the human development, the teen to the early 20s is just the most difficult. It's just super difficult. And why add this kind of level to make you even feel more kind of compared? And what am I doing with my life every second while you're watching this, like, perfect version of everyone else's life on social media?
0: All right, we have a microphone somewhere. Right there. Andrew on our tech staff, you get the first question.
1: <laughs> um, when uh, I was getting ready for the talk, I um, was uh, I noticed on your Twitter feed that you had written down a bunch of recipes for cooking on um, your Texturebot, and um, it made me realize that basically whenever I cook, I pull up a recipe on my phone. And um, I guess I was curious if you have any um, fun anecdotes from times where you were on a texture bot and all of a sudden something that you rely on completely in your life, like grabbing an Uber or something like that, all of a sudden completely fell through and you found yourself in a situation. Yes, it's happened. I mean, it's human. And I, th- I do talk about that in the book. Um, like, obviously, I love to take pictures, and we can't. So we, we, we've got a Polaroid that we call Shabbat cam, so we can <laughs> take it. And Polaroids are very in again. I love Polaroids. But, um, and when we get really lost, Ken, it's funny. We use this term that religious Jews use, which is called the Shabbos Goy and they go to someone gentile to like turn on the lights or, and Ken, he's the in the house. So when so we get really lost, it'll be like, Ken, can you, can you pull up the GPS so we can find the basketball court for our daughter's game? Like it happens, you know, we do as much, like Friday afternoon, it takes like five minutes for me to like look at what's happening Saturday, print out the fields or whatever we need to go to. But we try to not plan much, but it's kind of fun to try to figure things out. Like we have a question, we'll like go through books to try to find the answer. But it's kind of, we have a you know, record player. It's fun to go analog for a day and just kind of figure it. It feels good to feel resourceful in that way.
0: Yeah, I would say, um, I mean, a, a huge point of her book um, is that she talks about the preparation that is part of it. and that, yeah. yeah. So you should have a printer was one of the things yeah. she talks about. So you can print out your schedule for Saturday. Or a big um, Sharpie.
1: You can do it by hand. It's not much, right. but just a couple things. And it's like Friday afternoon, just write them down and then... Um, And then also
0: the Sharpie is what you use kind of to write down all the Google searches that you don't get to do the next day. Yeah, the first
1: hour, I'm like, oh, I got to call this person or what? And I just like write it, and then by an hour, and then it's like my brain feels free. That's the feeling I have is that I feel free, set free every week. Like I'm excited to slow down. I feel free for a day, and then I'm psyched to go back online. So Saturday night... Um, we're all reappreciate technology all over again. So it's got this dual effect like, wow, we live in the 21st century and we can look up anything and how miraculous. So every week it gets this dual thing every week. Can't wait to turn it off, can't wait to turn it back on.
0: Right. And do you know about the EREV tradition?
1: No. Uh,
0: yeah, so I went down a rabbit hole uh, at one point. It was actually for a talk for. Some folks here in the room that do odd salon, which is oh, yeah. uh, I don't know if you know. But it's, I remember you that in the also, 90s, well, yeah. You should all watch that. Come to the odd salon talks. They, sadly, they're often on the same nights as us. But uh, they, uh, it was so, it, it was a hack around shopping. Oh. So it so it used to be that you couldn't uh, you couldn't leave your house. Yeah. And so they would start. Putting up um, blankets between their neighbors' houses, oh, and yeah. then it was like, okay, well we can go between our neighbors' houses. Right, it's all the loopholes. it holes, became yeah. a string, and so now in every major city with a Jewish community, there is a string that goes around the yes, Jewish I neighborhood know about this. that PG&E puts up, or like the local power company puts up, and every like you can watch on Twitter right now. You, there's a f- Twitter feed on every Friday. A, a rabbi, in L.A. they do it by helicopter, by the way. Oh my a rabbi god, inspects that's the entire, sure gonna. <laughs> They inspect the entire string, and on Friday night they go, it's up. Erev reverend is up. Funny. And so that way you can walk to all the local things. So I, th- I think it's interesting that eventually there's probably going to be many more loopholes in your system.
1: Well, I think but that's the thing, is it's not ironclad, that we have this boundary that we love. And, and we've done it for over a decade now, and it's brought great joy, balance, creativity, productivity, like, reconnection back. But you know, we're human and sometimes it doesn't work. We have to travel, I have to get to the airport and I do like a semi version, but but the best week is when I do a full when I get to do a full version. But it just you get resourceful and creative around that too.
0: Next question. So, Neil Stevenson coined the term informational hygiene. Hmm. So, my question to you is doing without for 24 25 hours a week, does that inform the way you're online the rest of the time.
1: Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up, because yeah, it resets me. Like every week, um, it kind of puts me in check and I get to reevaluate how I'm using it every week. So yeah, it does, it makes me like get more intentional and then towards the end of the week, I'll like, oh my gosh, I'm on it too much. Oh good, I'm gonna go off of it. So yeah, it has a ripple effect and I love that term digital hygiene and well-being. You know, it's, it's about we, you know, there's, we just came from New Year's resolutions. Everyone's like, I'm going to drink less, I'm going to exercise more, I'm going to eat better, I'm going to sleep more. And you need to think, like, what's your relationship with screens? How am I going to integrate that thinking in how I'm living? So I like that term. I mean, the, the way the
0: Amish do it is they have a, I mean, they have a community meeting that says, does Discuss this technology it. help our community or not? And wouldn't that if, be great if, if the it, Silicon it, Valley did crack? that?
1: They're all like a huddle down there. And yeah. they're like, hmm, does this new app or new technology help or that would be so yeah. funny. Sadly, it's,
0: will this help us click? Get millions, millions yeah. of dollars. All right. Do we have any other questions? I have a question. Yes. It's a taboo question, though. Oh. So in these 24, 25 hours that you take every week, yeah. what have you missed?
1: What have I missed? Yeah. I don't feel like I miss anything. I have not missed anything. And in fact, people say that to me, like, what if, what if something happens? I mean, in the ten years, you know, if there's a real emergency, people will call our landline. You know how many times that's wrong? For an emergency?
0: They probably don't have it.
1: Well, no, the important people in the family do, it's never wrong for an emergency. Knock on wood. Now now I'm just like But um <laughs> next week. No, but I think that's the thing is like, what are you missing when you're you know People say, oh, I have so much email or there's going to be such a pile up." you know, it's nothing is that important that it can't be better served with a full day reset when you're going to be able to tackle it better by taking a day off. So I don't really feel like I've missed anything. I feel like, my, you know, I've gotten so much back. And I think that's, that is that mentality of like missing out. And we're living in this culture where it's like, ah, ah, we just have to just know every second of everything. And. It's exhausting.
0: Yeah. Here's a small example. On my list of things I would do in my time off is play piano. Yeah. Uh, But I hate reading sheet music. It's a miserable thing to look at. And there's a plethora of, you know, interactive tools online for learning how to play piano. Mm -hmm. YouTube videos of people showing you how to play. And Mm -hmm. there's a trade-off there. There's a balance, which is like the utility. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, I mean,
1: not to. No, no, I think it's just like, can you be creative around it? Like, I play ukulele, I can only, I tune it on my um, phone, on a phone app, but I have another kind of tuner that I got for that day, and I love playing ukulele then. So I think it's just like, you just kind of think, well, what could I do? You know, it's kind of what you were saying. You do things differently on that one day. So one day, you're just going to just figure out a different path to that.
0: Right. You mentioned, like, in in your book, you mentioned having, you know, an MP3 player for your music or whatever, or some yeah. analog or a record yeah. player. Rather, like, you're not going to get Spotify that day. Yeah. And actually, the loading of that, I think, is kind of this magic moment where you're like, oh, these are... I'm going to listen to Duran Duran on Saturday.
1: (laughs) 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 And we have, we cook a lot. Okay, here's an exception. We do cook a lot on Shabbat. That's like the one day I really enjoy cooking because I'm not stressed working mom cooking. And we will use the Alexa for the timer, like because it's right there. And, but we won't, we'll never get one of the, anyway, so that's an exception that we made in our house. Like we're cooking, which we're doing together. So we're using that timer. Now I could probably just get, a timer, but for some reason it just doesn't take us out of the moment. It really for us is about being together in the moment. And we're often reading together, but it's just like, but being together.
0: You mentioned this a lot, that you actually organize um, dinners with other people on Friday nights. Yeah, every Friday which night. I'm hoping to be invited oh, to at some point. Oh, yeah. yes. come. Yeah. you come We have kids the same yeah, age. Yeah, same age. You'll come yes. over. Yes. Um, but the, talk about the... I, I think that...
1: Well, I think the we need to be. eating. the interesting thing to your question yeah.
0: is that the amount of planning that then happens to make sure that the Friday and Saturday has this great analog human component to it.
1: Well, I think, you know, um, the Friday night dinner is an important part of the Tech Shabbat. They've come full the time. I think we need to be having more dinner parties in general. Amen. I think our country, um, we invite neighbors, we invite friends, we have family, but cooking for people is such an act of love. And we cook a big feast. I mean, not a big feast. We cook the same meal every Friday night. So we're not stressed. No, but that's an important thing. We're not stressed. When I was younger, I would stress to have a dinner party. There's no stressing here. I make challah Friday morning. It rises. Ken makes the chicken. The girls run appetizers. out. It's not stressful. And I think we need to cook and have more people over for dinner. And I think we need to bring back that art as like knitting together the fabric of society is eating around the table and talking. And we always... At our dinner tables, also, we have these conversation cards. So we're talking about what's happening in the world, what happened in their week. We have big conversations around that table. And I just think we need, we need more of that, of just cooking for each other, eating around the table, invite some strangers. We always invite a couple. Actually, Jane Metcalf, who's here, you're not going to know this, but when we first met you, every year Jane's we do... Jane's going to be
0: speaking in our series later this year. Well,
1: no, well when we, we, once a year, we do something called a chutzpah Shabbat. And we invite people that we greatly respect, but we don't know. And we just write them. People love being invited over for a meal. And we didn't know Jane and Lewis, And we were like, we would like you to come over for Shabbat dinner. And that was a long time ago. But that was just us going, we'd like to cook for you. We think you're interesting, and we want to get to know you. And it's such a fun thing to do. It's like a little act of courage. And we had such a fun night. And now we've been very long friends. So,
0: Do we have another question in the audience? <laughs> Hi. Yeah. Hold on, hold on. Let me hand you this.
1: Um, I was just wondering, you said the book has been out for two or three months, and people are doing it. Yeah. And I just wondered if there anyone's reporting back, like, detox symptoms or how hard it is. Now. Yeah, so on uh, ironically on Facebook, <laughs> I know it's so ironic, but we need an alternative system to Facebook, but I have a group called 24-6 Living, because um, so many people... Have, are doing it now and i said you know and somebody says oh my and everyone's sharing stories things that worked things that didn't and i'm just there sharing experiences but yeah i mean we have shabbat fails and the ki- people are mentioning it but i would say if you go on that facebook group all in all you'll see it's brought so much joy back to people's lives so well, just because you've been doing it for 10 years that's why I asked. Well you know it takes a while to figure it out like what are you going to do to play piano What are you going to do? Like, you have to kind of figure out your life and how to make it work for your life. And what are your exceptions? And what are your, what are they for you? Because everyone's got a different set of issues. (laughs) And really it's, what's a day of rest for you, right? What does it mean to truly rest? Because that's what, at the core of what I'm talking about is a day of rest. And today that means screens, but what does that look like for you? And then and what do you wish you did more of? So you're gonna create your own catered experience and you're gonna run into your own things you're gonna to have to figure out. Like People can't believe we did it with two kids in, in soccer, which we did and you just like, we all existed. This is the funny thing is people are like, well, how did you do it? And I'm like, let me tell you what we did. We'll call the team or we'll let the team know, we're not gonna be on the phone so we're gonna just be there. <laughs> See you Saturday. <laughs> I mean, think about how many times people text. Oh my God, I'm around the corner. I forgot my cleats. We're 20 minutes late. It's like so much unnecessary texting for anything that, you know, just remember that we existed before 2007 because the iPhone, the invention of the iPhone was the big turning point when you could bring that supercomputer with you everywhere. So just remember we all existed perfectly fine. Maybe you were a little late. But you weren't as late now. Now we're changing plans all the time because we can. Because you have the phone. Oh, I'm going to be 20 minutes late. Oh, I'm going to cancel because you can, because you've got that fun. You stick to your plan.
0: Indeed. Well, I want to give you one of our long-now challenge clients as one of our speakers. And I know that everybody here is buying your book and they're going to bring it up here and have you sign it. But I I just want to close really thanking um, Tiffany both for this talk. And I know it's a prototype. Uh, it's beginning of a prototype for the talk that you're going to be doing at the New York MoMA soon. Yes. And so we're honored to have you this early. And, and really just to think about what she said, which um, was definitely the thing that I learned as I watched my dad die, which was, what are the things that you wish you're gonna you have done at the end of that? And I guarantee it's not one more day on your cell phone. <coughs>
1: Thank you very much. Amen. Thank you. Great. Thank you.
0: If you enjoyed this talk, check out previous episodes with Neil Stevenson, Stuart Brand, Kim Stanley Robinson, and many more. Find them on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever you like to listen. The Long Now Foundation is a member-supported nonprofit dedicated to fostering long-term thinking and responsibility. Longnow members make everything we do possible. Learn more at longnow.org.